Star Wars 7x7 episode 2647. All right, we're back to it. We interrupted our conversations about Star Wars Visions briefly to talk about storytelling in October, but we're back to finish things off with Akakiri, the ninth and final installment in Star Wars Visions. And as with previous episodes, we will supplement the conversation with insights from the filmmaker focus featurette. Punch it. Hey Rebel Rouser, I'm Alan Voivod and this is Star Wars 7x7, your daily dose of Star Wars joy and thank you so much for joining me for it. So Akakiri is the ninth and final installment of Star Wars Visions and as with previous episodes we're going to talk about five top takeaways from the show and supplement with insights from the filmmakers focus featurette. But there is one extra thing so I guess maybe it's six but it doesn't necessarily apply to the episode itself. I just thought this was really well stated and I wanted to share it with you in case you hadn't checked out those filmmaker focus features. But Jung Jung Choi, who is the director of Akakiri and also the co-founder of Science Saru, which is the anime studio that produced Akakiri, had a wonderful thing to say. And, you know, this was another situation where when they interview people involved with this project, more references to Star Wars and particularly A New Hope as being a source of inspiration for the work that they do and, you know, just how they feel about science fiction and that sort of thing. And so in this particular case, she said, I think Star Wars provides a bridge or a place where everyone can meet in understanding. And you know what? I think I went through that one a little fast, so I'll say it again a little slower. I think Star Wars provides a bridge or place where everyone can meet in understanding. That's Yung Yung Choi, who again, the director of Akakiri and the co-founder of Science Saru. So that sentiment is just so beautiful and Considering that just a couple of days ago, it was International Podcast Day, and it was a day that kind of highlights the podcasting community around Star Wars, I mean, that is the kind of microcosm of what Young Young Choi is talking about and wanting everybody to you know, meet in this wonderful place in Star Wars, being able to gather this community and Star Wars podcasting being a similar kind of community gathering around positivity and meeting and understanding. So with that said, let's dive in to the top takeaways. First of all, one of the most obvious ones, I guess, is just the word Akakiri and what that means. So it is a Japanese term for red cloud or red mist or red fog, like that basically. And I guess I should say before I continue any further that we are going to be in spoiler territory for Akakiri, but not too spoilery, I don't think. I mean, yeah, we'll see. I don't think I'm going to be spoiling the whole thing. But <laughs> you know, fair warning for some elements of it. The whole red mist situation, the filmmakers talk about how intentionally that sort of coloration continues and becomes more prominent throughout the course of the short. And as we progress through the short, the red becomes more and more prevalent, and that is very intentional as the presence of the dark side grows and grows and becomes more influential throughout the course of the short. And I think the only other time that we see red used so prominently as a means of storytelling and enhancing what's happening on screen is with The Last Jedi. 
And that actually leads me right into the second thing that I wanted to flag for your consideration. It's the fact that there are influences on this short from all across Star Wars movie storytelling. And you know, some of them may be intentional, some of them may not be so intentional. One thing that was intentional, and they talked about this in the Filmmaker's Focus featurette, is that the two guides were meant to be very much sort of an R2-D2 and C-3PO comic relief kind of situation, right? And, you know, they almost even have the statures of 3PO and R2, one tall and thin, one short and squat, right? As for the prequel era, well, this is very much a Duchess Satine and Obi-Wan kind of story because you have a Jedi and a princess and there seems to have been some emotional connection with them that goes beyond what you might normally see in those circumstances and that very much reflects what happened with Obi-Wan and Satine. However, I will say that the short, the Akakiri story, does not make this necessarily as clear as it is in the Clone Wars cartoon series, like, you know, where outright Obi-Wan says, I would have left the Jedi Order if you had asked me to, which, you know, we've talked about that on the show before. Still my opinion that Obi-Wan should have just done it himself if he wanted to. But anyway, Subaki and Misa, those are the two characters, Subaki the Jedi, Misa the Princess. It really does seem like they've had some sort of a relationship and there's a flashback part where the filmmakers actually said they weren't even sure that they were going to include it. But basically it's like Subaki talking to his master about thinking he needs to go back to this planet and help Misa with her current problem. And the conversation that the master and Tsubaki have seems to suggest that there's going to be temptation and it's going to be difficult for the Jedi to resist. And, you know, why would that be the case? Well, <laughs> there's only really one plausible explanation. And as for the sequel trilogy influence, well, like I said, The Last Jedi, certainly in the way that it uses color in a storytelling fashion, particularly with The Last Jedi. I know there were some things with Empire Strikes Back with color as well, so you know I don't want to totally throw that out <laughs> of the equation. But also in terms of the time period, I think it is probably closer to sequel era than not if you actually had to put it in a time space, which we will attempt to do later in the show. But there's no reference to the Empire. There's no reference to a Republic. There's no reference to any government whatsoever. And that kind of talk is so ingrained into the way that we think about eras like the original trilogy era or the prequel trilogy era or even the High Republic era that, you know, if there's no government talk, well, then it suggests something else. All right. The third thing I want to flag is something that finally struck me in a way that it hadn't ever before. Even though it's been done in Star Wars movies and very famously in the original trilogy in the way that Darth Vader talks to Luke Skywalker about getting him to come to the dark side of the Force, but conversations about destiny. And, you know, you think about destiny sometimes and there's an aspirational quality to it, like, you know, destined to be a star performer on something, right? Like, there's definitely some sort of idea that you can achieve great things if it's in your destiny, right? But a lot of the times in Star Wars, the way destiny is talked about is as a means of getting rid of free will, right? Like it's your destiny to do something or be something. You have no control over arriving at that point. 
And this is, you know, in particular, how dark side force users like to talk about destiny. Darth Vader kept telling Luke that it was his destiny to join him. The Emperor said, you know, basically it's your destiny to kill Vader and take his place at my side. And that becomes an issue in here as well when the dark side influence comes in. Everything about destiny is that, you know, you're destined to fall into the dark side. You're destined to, you know, lose control and not only is it a means of saying okay you have no free will but you can also give up your free will and do so without apology without shame because yeah it's not your fault it's predestined and for some reason even though this is a concept that has been in Star Wars for many many decades it just finally hit me in a new way and so I thought hey Maybe I'll share that with you and see if it resonates with you too. All right, for a fourth takeaway, we'll talk about continuations and whether the story could continue on in other formats. You know, this one struck me as a little bit odd in the sense that with some previous stories, they felt very self-contained and like, yeah, you probably wouldn't bother with a sequel. And there were others that kind of just beg for continued serialized storytelling. This one kind of does both. I mean, where things are left, like you have to know how Misa is going to deal with the situation at hand. And yeah, like something has to be done, right? Like you can't leave the situation as it is. I'm trying to avoid spoiling it for you, basically, is what <laughs> the deal is here. So, yeah, there's got to be some sort of, you know, possible redemption situation to happen, and you would need further storytelling to do it. And, you know, it feels like it might take a couple of installments to do it. So just like the other day when I was saying, hey, not just Star Wars Vision Season 2, but why not Season 3 also? This seems like another situation where it could apply. And yet, and yet, the story is just so compactly and concisely told that it could just stand alone and we wouldn't necessarily have to revisit it again and we would all be you know pretty satisfied with the result even though the result is not satisfactory in another certain way but basically like a new hope it is a self-contained story and it could just live as that story and you know be perfectly fine but yeah i want to see something else happen so yeah yeah so here's hoping for a sequel all the same all right and for that fifth and final takeaway we're going to talk about where we might place this in the canon timeline again knowing that these stories are not meant to appear in the timeline they're not canon they are more like myths or fables or legends but if you were to try to make an approximate guess for where in the timeline it would be well this one is probably one of the most confusing ones in terms of the cues that it offers us. First of all, we actually have sort of a you know bound on one side that is offered to us by the presence of a B-Wing. So according to Wikipedia, B-Wing prototypes didn't arrive until four years before the Battle of Yavin and didn't go into production until that very same year, the, the Battle of Yavin, so four years later. So that already puts us in original trilogy space. But we have a Jedi walking around freely and seemingly unconcerned about being spotted by anyone and dealing with an active Sith and so that seems like it doesn't feel original trilogy basically you know that just doesn't seem to fit with the narrative of events so that means you have to push forward to think about this and maybe it's 
all the way past the sequel trilogy situation because there you know are Jedi running around there are Sith running around you know that would make sense potentially and B-Wings are continuing to exist in this time period they are referenced in I believe it's um, uh, Force Awakens either Visual Dictionary or Incredible Cross Sections and if you were to think that it happens beyond the sequel trilogy well then you know the lack of a reference to a uh, government situation kind of makes sense because the First Order has been taken out, but the New Republic, right after the sequel trilogy era at least, or right after the Rise of Skywalker, is still pretty well decimated. It's only been a year after Hosnian Prime's destruction, and so, yeah, how much of the New Republic could actually be up and functional and operational? Not all that much, but it does raise the question of whether Rey has been able to train any Jedi in that case, so, yeah, that's where it kind of breaks down on that side, so you almost wonder if it's happening in the space prior to The Force Awakens, but where Luke has been training Jedi, and if somehow this might be one, but you would think that the awareness of a Sith operating at that time would have caught Luke Skywalker's attention as well. So, uh, feels really tough to figure out. It just seems like the best possible answer we could arrive at is way ahead of sequel trilogy era storytelling for where this could be set in the timeline. And there you go. That's what I've got for you for Akakiri, which is the final episode of Star Wars Visions. Hopefully the final episode of the first season of Star Wars Visions. And that is going to do it for this episode of the podcast as well. It just remains for me to say thank you so much for joining me for it as always. And may the force be with you wherever in the world you may be. Seven is not endorsed or sponsored yet by Lucasfilm Limited, Disney, or 20th Century Fox, and is intended for entertainment and information purposes only. Star Wars, the Star Wars logo, all names and pictures of Star Wars characters, vehicles, and any other Star Wars related items are registered trademarks and or copyrights of Lucasfilm Limited, other respective trademark and copyright holders. May the force be with them. All original content is copyright 2021 by Star Wars 7x7. We hope you love it.